Uh, and so we're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We are in the season of what we call Christmas. And what happens during the Christmas time is when everybody is joyous and uh, businesses are happy because you're out spending your hard-earned money and and uh, you are uh, and they want to get you in there and they're going to offer you sale after sale and people are just joyous and happy and and what have you. But we forget what the real reason is for this season. Sure, the gifts are nice. I mean, I'm if if you know me, my family will tell you uh, I want my gifts. Uh, but we have since went to this. Well, we we can't afford to buy for everybody, so let's just draw names. And I'm like, I don't want to draw names. I want my gifts. <laughs> but it's not about the gifts. It's not about the gifts. It's about one gift. His name is Jesus Christ. That's, that's his name. And so we as a church have a responsibility. This is, a, this is a season where even though people are out being joyous and happy and, and, and spending the money, now is really a time to share what Christmas is really all about. The gift of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest gift that you can give to anybody that you're ever faced with during this time. The gift of Jesus Christ. Now, as you are giving this gift, and when I say give the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the gospel message, the message of of Jesus Christ. Um, As you're giving this, you're not going to always be accepted. You're not going to, people are not going to receive what you have to say. Right? This, this Jesus, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to be happy. I don't even want to think about the eternality of my soul. I just want to be happy. And your concern is making sure that they get this gospel. So they're going to push you away. Some of you may even be opposed right in your face. Family members that you know are lost, they're not going to want to hear you. All right? What they're going to do, they're going to push you away. And you have to understand it's not you that they're pushing away. You're just the messenger. So... What do we do? How do we handle that? Well, first thing, don't take that personal. Don't take it personal. It's not you that they're rejecting. But we can learn from the life of Paul on how to handle opposition while we are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Hence, Acts chapter 13. So, instead of reading the entire chapter, I'll just read, I'll read, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll read some more, talk about, just kind of do it like that so that we're not reading the whole chapter all at one time. We'll just kind of work our way through the chapter, 
and prayerfully you'll see uh, we'll we'll be able to come to a conclusion on how we are supposed to or should uh, handle opposition while ministering the gospel. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the word to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Stop right there. So here we find that there is, at the church in Antioch, Antioch was known as a church that had been had been planted previously by Saul, and the people at that particular church, the church was growing. You find that in chapter 11. Church was growing. Um, even the church at Jerusalem had heard about it and said, look, Barnabas, go see what's going on. Why is this church flourishing the way it is? That's because they had been obedient to the Spirit. So here we find uh, these teachers... This whole set of teachers here who now are praying and God says, look, I want you to take this person, Barnabas, and this person, Saul, and set them apart for a work that I have for them. Well, what is it that he has for them? They're going on their very first missionary journey. They're going on their very first missionary journey. And guess what? That's where we're going. We're going right along with them. Okay, verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went out, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found the magician a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So here Paul and Barnabas are on their way. 
um, on their way doing what God had called them to do. They had passed through uh, Seleucia. They went through Cyprus. They went, got to Salamis. And then eventually they would get through the entire island of Paphos. And there they would meet their very first opposition. Look what it says in verse 6. This man was a magician, but he was also known as a Jewish false prophet. Well, what's, what's a false prophet? What is... What does he do? Number one, he's false. That means there's nothing true about him. Everything that comes out of his mouth is false. Everything that comes out of his mouth is is false. And so here we find him. He is with the pro-council. What is he doing with this pro-council? This is a senator in the Roman province. So what is he doing with this guy? He is performing whatever services that this Roman governor wants. He was a deceiver. He was a deceiver who took whatever knowledge that he had about God and he used it for evil use. He was considered a pretender. What does a false prophet do? They oppose God's truth. Not only do they oppose God's truth, but they also oppose those who preach God's truth. So he pretended. He was a pretender. Now, false prophets, I mean, there's nothing different Going on today, I mean, we see false, it's just ridiculous to some of the stuff that we're seeing, uh, called Christian. All you gotta do is go to YouTube and just type false prophet and you'll see all them, see a lot of them just pop up. And it's some of the ones that some of us grew up on. I gonna be with, I'm a witness to say, hey, when I first got saved, some of them I was listening to. But God in his grace and mercy delivered us from that so that we can hear the real truth. You got churches full, I mean just massive churches full of people listening to false prophets. People saying, I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in, I'm a prophet for today. I'm an apostle for today. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And so this, this particular magician, what is he doing with, the, with, with this proconsul? He's in this proconsul's ear. He's in this proconsul's ear so that he can get whatever it is that he wants. False prophets care nothing about, about you. It's all about them and getting their glory. And so he's in this in this in this council's ear so that he can get whatever he wants and don't for one minute think that that's not happening today. That don't don't think for one moment that that is not happening from the smallest town all the way up into the White House where you got people in 
in their ear. Agendas. Some people's agendas are just out there. They, they're telling you what their agenda is. Contrary to what the truth is. We're more concerned about getting our agenda passed than we are the truth. And yes, we do thank God for those who fight on behalf of abortion, the life of these innocent babies. We thank God for people who do that. But guess what? The message of abortion and anything that's contrary to the word of God is more louder than the truth is. Why is that? It's because we're not doing our job. We're not doing our job. We are so focused on, it's a good thing to support those, those, those who, who want to get up there in the office and, and, and stop all this, but we really should be telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm here to support this because Jesus said, They're not doing that. Why, what are they afraid of? I, I have no idea. Back to this. So this, pro, this false prophet is in this proconsul's ear. And so here he comes and now he gets upset. And what does he want to do? He is opposing the message that Paul and Barnabas have brought to this proconsul who actually summoned to hear. Why, why did he summon them? Because he's hearing about the, about this message that's being preached and how people's lives are being changed. Well, I want to hear some of that. And here comes this magician. This false prophet gets upset because Paul and Barnabas are sharing with him this good news that can benefit his soul. Why does he get offended? He was alarmed that he would lose his status before pro-counsel. Pro-counsel would hear this good news, this good news that, that, that would benefit him. But guess what? That same good news would benefit the magician, right? Right? This, I mean, magician, him, and he's standing right there. He's listening, right? It's the message is for him. So what does he do? He rejects the message. I'm talking about the magician. He rejects this message. He rejects this good news. He rejects what Jesus had done for him. And he focuses on himself and he focuses on the fact of trying to turn this proconsul away from this good news. How does Paul respond? Well, look at verse Starting in verse 9, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of deceit. 
you're a fraud. You are a son of the devil. You are an enemy of all righteousness. What's he doing? He's exposing his character. He's exposing his true character in front of this proconsul. Remember, all of them are right there together. He exposes his character. And not only does he expose his character, he submits himself unto the authority of God, and God uses him to pronounce Look at verse 11. The hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and not see the sun for a time. You got to see this. It's not Paul that's doing this. It says in verse, in verse 9, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's God that's doing this, not Paul. What did Paul do in this? He just submitted himself. He submitted himself to the authority of God. It was God who was the one who blinded him. It was God who who called him out on his character. Paul was just the instrument used to carry out what God intended. So he blinds him, calls out his character. Paul calls out his character. Uh, and then he blind, God blinds him. And then look what happens in verse 12. Then the proconsul did what? He believed. He believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. God had a plan for this proconsul. But in order to get to this proconsul, he had to remove the obstacle. What was the obstacle? The magician. Magician was in his ear. But he was intelligent enough to say, I want to hear this message. He was intelligent enough to summon Paul and Barnabas to come and bring this word of the Lord to him. So what does God do? He removes this obstacle, the obstacle of this magician in his ear. And when he removes him, now the proconsul can actually hear the gospel the way God intended. And what happens? He believes. He believes. So, how do we handle this opposition according to this particular story? Submit yourself to the authority of God. Remove yourself out of the way and submit to God. Just submit. Submit to his authority. Verse 13. 
Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Persia, they arrived at Pisidian, Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioned with his hands. He begins to preach the gospel from verse 16 all the way to verse 41. Now, here we are. Paul has moved on from, from Paphos and he's moved on to Pisidian Antioch just the way God intended. And when he gets there, the first place that they go is they go right to the synagogue and sits down. Synagogue is pretty much like a church service, like what we would know it, just a little bit different. And in those days, the church was um, existed wherever Jews lived. It, it happens to be the center for sacrificial worship. It was established wherever there were as many as 10 Jewish men, they would establish a synagogue. But it had to be located within an established distance based on the rules established by the rabbis because there was some some law that said you couldn't walk for for so many miles on the Sabbath day, right? So the synagogue had to be somewhere nearby. Now, I said that a synagogue is somewhat similar to a church today. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, well, that depends on what church. Uh, let me just say it like that because there are some churches out there you just want to stay away from, Right? The message coming across the pulpit, the foolishness that's taking that's taking place around the church is just ridiculous. So, what I mean is this: just the idea of of church, where people gather together to hear the word of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Correct. We're supposed to be gathering together to hear what the word of the Lord is saying. We don't come to socialize. Do we? We don't come so that we can, you know, just hang out and, and, and do whatever. We come to worship. Everything that we do in a church service should be for the worship of our God and Savior. Right? It's for worship. That's why we're here. We're here for worship. And it's the same thing then. They gathered for prayers, they gathered for scripture reading, and then they gathered for a sermon, and then there was a benediction. They just got right to the point. In the Old Testament days, uh, forget, forget um, uh, where I read it, but uh, I read where they used to stand and hear the word of the Lord all day long. Standing all day, just standing, hearing the word of the Lord. We have an issue if we we're here one minute over forty-five minutes, right? We 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 looking at the clock. The faculty's come on at one. We need to get out of here, right? 
we're more concerned about what's going on outside than we are worshiping our Lord and Savior. So they gather together to hear the scripture, to reflect on the, on the meaning, to pray together. But look at what the synagogue officials did after the reading of the law. They come to Paul and Barnabas and says what? Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Now, question is, how did they even know? How did they even know that Paul and Barnabas were, were one of theirs? Well, we don't know um, based on what's, what's written there. But perhaps we can say that their reputation had preceded them. Maybe the word had gotten out. Well, we already know that the word had gotten out that the same one who was persecuting the church was now preaching this gospel. We don't know. But there was something about them that would cause this leader to go up to Paul and Barnabas and say, hey, do you have anything to say? Say it. So what does Paul do? He stands up, verse 16, he motions with his hand, and then he says, men of Israel and you who fear God. Men of Israel and you who fear God. There's two categories of people there. Synagogue was just for the Jews. So who are these people that he's saying, you who fear God? We're going to answer that a little bit later. Okay? So Paul gets into this message. Uh, starts from way back in verse 17. says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. In other words, he's letting them know that the Israelites were the chosen one. And then... Um, he introduces Jesus to him, beginning in verse 26, and then he closes it by giving them a warning in verse 41, in verse 40, therefore take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Why would he say all that? Well, we're going to answer that too here in a minute. Look at verse 42. In verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. You see that? They were begging for them. They were begging for them that what was just spoken will be spoken the next week. These people's hearts had been gripped by the message which Paul had preached. It was a message that they had never heard. Never heard. So what are they doing? Please, can you come back next week? Can you come back in here next Sunday and preach that same message? What we've been hearing is boring. What we've been hearing is not what is not the truth. We've never heard this before. My heart has been gripped by what you have just said. They're begging. 
that these things might be spoken to them the next Sunday. Hmm. How many of us can't wait till next Sunday when we leave here? How many of us are just anxious to get back into the house of God and worship with my brothers and sisters? How many of us are anxious to get back here so that we can hear this word of God? If we're honest with ourselves, some days, oh, Lord, here we go again. Right? Let me go on to the church and check the box. Say, I've been to church. We're going to be done at 11, so I still have the whole day to myself. Right? It's only 45 minutes. I don't have to go to Sunday school afterwards. I can just skip on out. How many of us are actually looking forward to coming and to hearing the word of God? These people begged for them to come back. And then look what happens in verse 43. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, we'll address that here in a minute, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, urged them to continue in the grace. What is that saying? They recognized that their hearts had been gripped by this good news. So they're, they're encouraging them. They're encouraging them to stay in the word. They're encouraging them to... Continue to worship. They're encouraging them to continue to listen to the scripture. That's what they're doing. Now, it says that many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, who are these God-fearing proselytes? Well, they're the same ones that were mentioned in verse 16, you who fear God. And they're also the same ones that are mentioned in verse 26, you who fear God. Who are these people? Well, in the synagogue, there were the Jews. And then there were those who fear God. The Jews were allowed to participate in the uh, the order of the service. Those who fear God can be there but you couldn't participate. You could only listen. These were considered non-Jews who had converted to Judaism. Went through all of the rituals to so that they can be considered a Judaizer. But they couldn't participate. And that's why Paul refers to them as God-fearing, you who fear God. So they were encouraged by Paul and Barnabas to stay with this gospel, stay with this, this good news, stay with what you have just heard. Beg them for more. 
Oh, but here comes the opposition. Look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Stop right there. You see that? The next week, this next week that they had already, that they begged for them to come back to, 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 to preach more. They come back that next week. Now, nearly the whole city wants to be there to hear. You see that? How is that? How could that be? That's because the people left that synagogue and went out and shared that good news. That's what they did. They went out and they, they shared it. They shared it with those who didn't go. They shared it with those who probably didn't want to go. They shared what they had been, what they had heard. And not only did they share, but I'm sure Paul and Barnabas continued throughout the week to preach this gospel. Right? Nearly the entire city showed up at the synagogue to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say. Is that going on here? Are we overflowing into the fellowship hall? Is the parking lot packed because we out sharing this gospel? Forty-five. But when the Jews, here comes your opposition, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. You see that? Instead of them being happy or joyous right along with everyone else, the Jews Get jealous. They get jealous because people are ecstatic about this good news that can save their soul. The Greek term for jealousy here means that they were envious. They showed resentment. What's the evidence of this in this resentment? They contradict. That's, they contradict the message. We got the good news going for. So uh, in, in my envy, I'm going to tell you some other news. Because I don't want you to feel the way you feel about this good news. Utterly ridiculous. So they contradict what Paul and Barnabas were saying. Mm. They begin to refute the message of Paul. Some commentaries that I that I ran across uh, that, that I read would say that this is classic racism. Well, how so? Well, you got the Jews being being envious and jealous. And then you got these non-Jews whom the message was not meant for in the first place ecstatic about this good news. 
Gentiles receive the message. Happy that is that that now the message is for them. And then you got the Jews to whom the message was intended for in the beginning. Remember in verse 17, it says, God of the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. The Israelites were chosen to be God's people. But when the Israelites didn't do what they were supposed to do, what does God do? I'm going to take my message to the Gentiles. And now the Jews want to get upset because they're responding to the message. That's our message. That's not yours. How dare you? said the message was yours this crowd was enthusiastic about what they heard they were on fire they had finally heard some good news so look at how Paul responds verse 46 Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiated and judged for yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Stop right there. You see that? Look what he says. The word of God was spoken to you first. It was given to you first. It was meant for you first. But what did you do? You didn't respond. You, 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 you didn't respond, but then you had nerves to get jealous. And then you got the nerve to contradict what I'm trying to preach. So what does he do? It was for you first. But since you repudiated. Some Bibles say you refuse to listen. Some versions say you refuse or not refuse to listen. You reject this message. Since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy. Listen to what they're what they've done. They've taken the good news. They've rejected it. They're saying, I don't want to have any parts of that. They're saying, I don't, I don't want to hear this good news. I don't want to hear it. This message was initially for you and you are saying, I don't want to hear it. Sound familiar? Sunday after Sunday, the gospel message is preached or should be preached, and we reject it. We get up out of our seats, and we walk right out the door as if we haven't heard a thing. That means church is what we call in the accounting career field, check the box regulation. I've done my duty for the week so I can check that off. 
You did that. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul is saying to the Jews. You rejected the Savior that was sent for you. You rejected the Savior who took a crown of thorns for you. You rejected the man who was nailed to a cross. You rejected the man who died for you. You rejected the same man who rose up from the dead and now sits at the right hand of the Father. You're the one who did that. You're the one who is shaking your fist in the creator's face saying, I don't need you. You're the one that's saying, I don't want to follow anything you have to tell me. I don't care that you're my creator. That's what he's saying to the Jews. And guess what? We do the same thing. Right? Sunday after Sunday, we shake our fist in our Father's face and say, I don't need you. He created you. And you want to shake your fist in his face? Not only did they reject and not listen to this message, but Paul says, look what else they did. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You did that. Right? You see that in verse 46? Since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You did that. That's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 2, you are without excuse because you did that. You refused to listen. You rejected the message of the gospel. That's why you shouldn't take it personal when people don't hear what you have to say when it comes to Jesus Christ. Your job is just to tell them they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. And that's why they go to hell. The life that they live is just evidence of their rebelliousness against the message of the gospel. It's just evidence. You can look at them and say, that person is, rebell is rebellious. Romans chapter 1 is clear. God gave them over to themselves. You don't want to hear this message? I'm going to let you have, have yourself. Right? Gave you over. You, you feel like you can make a better decision? Have at it. And you live your life the way you want to live it. And you do. You lie, cheat, steal, do whatever that you want to do. 
just so that you can win the rat race. Well, let me tell you something. The rat race been here even before you got here and it's going to be gone. It's going to be here even after you're gone. Everybody wants to be a partner. Everybody wants to be a president of the company. Everybody wants to be on top of the world. And guess what? When they get there, it's not enough. Tom Brady, let me watch what I say here. Tom Brady, the goat of football, recently said when he won his very first Super Bowl, they asked him how did he feel. You know what he said? Is this it? Is this it? I did all of that all this, you know, abusing my body and all of this spending time away from my family, is this it? All I have to show for it is this big old ring with all these diamonds in it. Is this it? You judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. What is this eternal life he's referring to? Turn to John chapter 17. Turn back to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is what we call Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Verse three, this is eternal life. that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see that in verse 3? That's eternal life. It's to know God. It's to know Jesus Christ. And you've deemed yourself unworthy? You did that. Or you're doing that. If you don't have, if you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what you're saying. I don't want to know God. I don't want to know Jesus Christ. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Okay. Just remember, you made that choice. So what Paul, what does Paul do? He says, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. He didn't get into any argument with them. He says, look, this message was for you. You want to reject it? Then we're going to go to someone else. So how do you handle opposition from that? What is the lesson from that? Move on. You've said what God wanted you to say. Move on. 
right? There's no sense in sitting there arguing with somebody that doesn't, that doesn't believe, right? Move on. We're going to the Gentiles. See it. Last story. When the Gentiles heard this, look, 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 look at this. When the Gentiles heard this, what did they do? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. You see that? And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. God had a plan all along to save Gentiles. As many as had been appointed. Appointed when? Before the foundation of the world. God had already chosen Israel to be his chosen people. And as part of his plan, he had already had some Gentiles that he had chosen. So he's telling us here, as many of the Gentiles that have been appointed... They believed doctrine of election. That's what that is. Clearly, the doctrine of election. There are going to be some who are going to reject. We just saw that in verse 45 and 46. They're going to reject. They're going to reject this message. They're going to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to choose an eternal damnation. It's their choice. Aren't you glad you were appointed? Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Oh, here we go again. Here comes some more opposition. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Now, he just told them that you refuse to listen to the gospel. He just told them that you have decided that you are unworthy of eternal life. So you're going to keep it up. Right? They're going to keep it up. So what do they do? They get, get these high-powered people involved. Get these, get, get, let's get the leaders of the city involved and had them driven out of the district. Get out of here. Get out of here. I don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that in here. Perhaps it was money motives. Just drove why they drove him out. We don't know. There's nothing here that would tell us why they drove him out, other than the fact that they didn't want to hear the message of the gospel. Look at verse 51. What is he? How does Paul and and Barnabas handle that situation after they have been driven out of that district? Verse 51 says. They shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went 
to Iconium. See that? Bye. I'm out of here. Shook the dust off. How do we handle opposition? Bye. There's other people that need to hear the gospel besides them. You've done your job. You've ministered them the gospel. You've shared with them the good news. You've told them that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. You've told them that Jesus Christ lived an earthly life. You've told them that Jesus Christ was crucified. He was died and he was buried. You've also told them that he rose again on the third day. You've told them that he shed his blood for them so that they might have eternal life, which is to know God and to know Jesus Christ. You've told them. Now, only thing left for you to do is bye. I'm out of here. I'm going to go and carry out whatever I and talk to someone else, share that same message. But I'm encouraged because now I don't have to take it personal. I can do like Paul, submit myself to the authority of God. And then I can leave. Shake the dust off my feet. What is it that we that we can learn from Paul and Barnabas? From the story of the magician, you have to understand that the kingdom of darkness is very eager to influence those who are ruling. So as we're sharing this gospel, those who are in key positions over cities, over towns, over uh, everywhere, all the way up to the White House, they need to hear the gospel. When you get those cards in the mail and they ask you to reach out to your congressman or reach out to your senator, that's an invitation for you to send them the gospel. Some of them will actually put the phone number on there for you to call them. You're not going to speak directly to them, but you will probably speak to an answer machine, right? Share the gospel. Second thing that we can learn. As you are sharing this truth for the salvation of the souls of men, you can best believe that you've started a war. Right? 
the forces of hell are coming. They're coming for that new convert. Right? They're coming for the new converts. This, this church that Paul and Barnabas were, were, were located, it was a brand new church. These people had just heard the word. And the Gentiles, that's why they were excited. They had just heard something they had never heard before. So they're new converts. The Jews, forces of hell, already started. Galatians, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? Who, who, who had, who's gotten to you already? So that you don't, you have, you have fallen away from what you had learned. New converts, that's what they do. That's why it's important for discipleship, discipleship classes. So as they, as they convert, now they need to know what have they converted to. I believe. Now they need to be disciples. Three, attacking the church has always been the strategy of the enemy. That's what he does. If he isn't attacking the church, that means he probably lives here. Right? Why would he attack somewhere he's, he's living? And lastly, which I hope that you get, people perish because they choose to reject the gospel and refuse to believe. It's the rejection of the gospel. How they're living their lives is just evidence that they reject the gospel. Rejection of the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined to know nothing among you except him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to stand before your people to share your word with them and and um, encourage them, O oh Lord, uh, for those who are in this fight to remain faithful and to do what you call them to do. For those who don't know you, Lord, who have heard this message, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would save them. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would open their eyes and their ears of understanding so that they might ponder what they've heard. Let the message be clear to them, Father. We pray for this church, O oh Lord. We pray for the fact that they're here in this neighborhood. We ask, Lord, that a special blessing upon them and help them to come and surround, put their loving arms around those who don't know you. Let your will be done in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.